Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Giving is one of the ways that America sets itself apart from other countries. And it can give you a tremendous sense of personal satisfaction knowing the positive difference it can make in the world. There are many ways to give. Time, treasure, and talent. And joining us today is Kolke Roberts, who has given all three to an organization that she's very passionate about, Save the Children. Kolke is a political commentator for ABC News, providing analysis for all network news programming. From 1996 to 2002, she and Sam Donaldson co-anchored the weekly ABC interview program this week. And today she's here to share with you the positive impact that working with Save the Children has had on her life and that of her family members. Welcome, Koki. Nice to be with you, Jim. Hey, it's great to have you, and we really appreciate you joining us and taking some time today. I think a topic that's not talked about much is the idea of giving back and philanthropy. And I had someone tell me recently the difference between charity and philanthropy is charity is helping out a cause that maybe inspires you one-shot deal. You might send a check for something like Hurricane Sandy and then kind of forget about it. For philanthropy, you typically have boots on the ground. You're giving back your time, your talents, your resources. You're really getting involved in it. I heard you talk at an advisor and philanthropy conference. What really inspired me is not only are you supporting an organization with your celebrity and making awareness to it, but you actually pay your own airfare, get your boots on the ground. You even took your daughter with you, and you really live what you believe, and that inspired me. And I wanted you to be able to share your story with our listeners about this important part of overall planning. You should have philanthropy as part of what you think about when doing your estate planning or retirement planning. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get involved with the organization Save the Children and tell us a little bit about the organization. Well, the fact is that it was a result of planning. I had spent much of my adult life saying that women like me, women who had gone directly from college to the paid workforce, had an obligation if we had the opportunity at some point in our lives to do what many of our mothers did, which was to do a lot of work in the community of making themselves available to those in need. And I had said it for so long that it was time for me to act on it instead of just talking about it. And so I started thinking hard about what I really wanted to devote my time to and whatever talents I might have. I care deeply about children. My children, of course, are terribly important to me. And I had done the kind of volunteer work when they were small that is necessary in schools. I was the PTA president and all that kind of thing. But I had really not done anything to worry about other children. And of course, children are our future. They're the future of the entire planet. So I wanted very much to make a difference in the lives of children. I started doing my due diligence as a reporter. I started looking into organizations that work with children or care about children. And I first looked in this country, and then I circled around. And every time I started looking at what organizations really made the most difference, which were the most efficacious, it kept coming back to save the children. 
I was delighted that Save the Children works both in the United States and around the world. So I called them up and said, here I am. I would love to be involved in your organization. I have already done a couple of events for you here in Washington, and I would love to be more involved with you. They said, wow, this doesn't usually happen. It usually happens that we go after somebody rather than the other way around. But they were very receptive. We had a meeting. They said to me, you know, really, it would be better if you went on the board of directors because you would know more about the organization. And I said, great, that's terrific. So I did. Since then, I have traveled the world to some of the scariest places on earth to see exactly what the programs do and how incredibly effective they are. I read that it's actually touched the lives of about 125 million children. That's just almost mind-moggling. You mentioned that it's an international organization, and you've traveled to some of these locations. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, I started off in Azerbaijan. Now, Azerbaijan is not an easy place to get to. I always joke that with Save the Children trips, you fly and fly and fly and fly and fly, and then you get off the plane, and then you drive and drive and drive and drive and drive to some place that is very remote because, of course, that's where the need is. It's not, you know, in Paris. Azerbaijan, riddled with war between the Armenians and the Azerbaijanis after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Save the Children was working in the internally displaced persons camps areas. And so I was really struck when I got to some of these sites to see the kind of work that Save was doing. Anything from digging a well so that there was water that the community could use, to educating the children, to health care for the mothers, to microfinance programs for women so that they could support their children, and on into the establishment of civil society. Really, in a situation like that, it is the only island of civil society because the rest of the country was essentially in chaos. I started to see the incredible work on the ground, and since then I've traveled to Guatemala, up into the indigenous people's areas, into Ethiopia and the Aceh after the tsunami, and Pakistan up into the northwest frontier provinces after the earthquake, because often what happens is that Save the Children comes in after a natural disaster and sets up situations for children that are safe and deal with the children's psychological traumas after after these disasters as well as their physical traumas. And then we stay and do development work. A lot of that has to do with health care, and I saw that in Bangladesh where these intrepid health care workers walk hundreds of miles to get to villages where they can help young mothers provide the proper nutrition and health care for their children. So I've now seen it around the world. The most recent trip I took was to Vietnam with my daughter, and we went up into the mountains near the Laotian border and saw what was going on with the Hmong people, a wonderful educational program. So my daughter came running in. She's in her 40s. This is not a child. And said, look at this. There's a double helix DNA model in the third grade classroom among the Hmong children. So, you know, this is quite sophisticated education that's going on. Koki, we're big fans and advisors of creating a legacy of this philanthropy to the next generation, and you obviously accomplished that by bringing your daughter with you. You kind of touched on it, but how did that impact her, plus impact you to be able to kind of show her at such a great stage of life how important this idea is? Well, I think she was already there. She's now in the process of trying to influence her children and doing it, I think, successfully. They are young. Two of them are 11 and one is 8. 
But I see it with both my son and my daughter that their children are aware that they need to be involved in activities that are beneficial to other people and not just themselves. It's really quite remarkable to see how it takes hold. One of my granddaughters, my son's daughter, had very long hair that she loved dearly, and she cut it off for locks of love for breast cancer survivors who needed wigs for when they were in chemotherapy. So there are lots of things that these kids do when you set the right example. I've tried to do that, but I've certainly done it very explicitly in recent years. When you talk about planning, I have been very, very explicit about this, that you not only need to plan for your money, but you need to plan for your life. Frankly, I do see women doing a better job of that than men. Sorry about that. But I see so many men who turn 65 and their law firm says you can't be a partner after 65, and they're just at sea. It always amazes me because they were 64 and 364 days the day before, and they seem to be just amazed that now they're 65 and and can't be partner anymore. I think women do a better job, by and large, of looking ahead, looking at the whole life cycle and saying, well, what am I going to do when I'm 70? What am I going to do when I'm 80? And try to create some kind of balance so that you are in a life period where you can be contributing in all kinds of ways and not feeling like you are at sea. I would agree with you. I think maybe men tend to be more in denial and be great procrastinators. So I want to actually build on that a little bit deeper as far as just the planning concept, but we just have to take a short break. So let's continue on this when we come back. Please stay tuned. Having a conversation with your child is like putting money in the bank. For example, every time you ask your child, So, how was your day? You've just added to your conversation trust account. And when you say to your child, Good job, son. You get double deposits. And the more you ask, the more you put away. And it's good advice to... <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's good advice to have... Stop that. <clears throat> and it's good advice to have little chats with your child as often as you can. Thank you. Because someday, when they're teenagers, it may pay off big dividends. Dad, can I ask you something? Give your family everything. Give them your time. Thanks, Dad. I think you're right. Welcome back as we continue a very engaging conversation today with Koki Roberts. Koki is a political commentator for ABC News, providing analysis for all network news programming. And Koki, you've been doing that obviously for years and are well known. And we've been talking about the concept of philanthropy today really versus charity and a organization that's very important to you and you're passionate about, which is Save the Children. Just before the break, we were really talking about how you feel women just do this kind of planning and take this a little bit more different approach than men do from, I think I refer to it as denial and procrastination, which I'd agree. As advisors, we try to inspire clients at every age to do estate planning. I'm working with a number of clients right now on charitable trusts and charitable planning, and it does seem to be driven more by females and women as far as getting this thing done and priorities 
where maybe the guy's asking more about the tax deduction. <laughs> so, well, that is an interesting fact. We now have enough data about women in philanthropy to know that there is a difference. First of all, since 2005, women have been giving more than men, which was a sea change because for a very long time it was very difficult to get women to give money. They give time, but not money. Part of that was, of course, women earn less money than men in general. Women actually have more money in the end because (laughs) you guys don't live as long as we do and we tend to inherit some money. But the earning power of women is still less than that of men. Women tended to see their money as the family's money and they were reluctant to give it. That has changed dramatically, and now women give more as a whole than men do, and they give differently. That is the thing that planners need to pay attention to. Women are not as interested in the tax deduction, or certainly not as interested in their names on a building. They are much more interested, the data shows, in involvement, participation, and efficacy. They want their money to do good. They don't want it just to be some kind of showcase. They want to see the effect of what they've given. And they'd like to be involved. They'd like to go to the projects, as I have with Save the Children, or to pick up the paintbrush, whatever it is, to be involved in what they see as a worthwhile endeavor. And so the organizations that are seeking funds should recognize that and pay a great deal more attention to it, which, by the way, is harder. It's much easier just to ask somebody for a check than it is to involve somebody. And then the planners who are advising people on what to do with their funds should also keep that in mind because they will find a more receptive audience of females if they talk about participation as well as just financial giving. You brought something up that started to touch upon something that you even talked about a little bit earlier, and you said people want to see the positive effects of what's happening, not just giving money and getting the deduction. There's a little bit more behind it. I do agree with you. I see that more with women because one of the pushbacks I get when I talk about actually setting up a charitable giving program and an overall planning process is that men will bring up, oh, you know, that one charity, it was a scam and that one, most of the money went to administration costs and all that. And you talked about it earlier in the program, how you did investigation as to what charity you felt was worthy of your time and talents and resources. Maybe touch upon what can people do to make sure their money is making the impact that they want and not just throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's a few bad eggs in a dozen. Fortunately, there's a great deal more transparency in all areas of finance, as you well know, but certainly in the philanthropic community. So there are resources like Charity Navigator that you can go to to see what different organizations' percentage of administrative costs are, that kind of thing. Also, of course, now with the Internet, you can Google and find out a lot of things about organizations. So it's much more open. I can tell you I sit on the boards of several nonprofit organizations. These organizations are very aware that givers want to know how the money is being spent, and they are very aware that transparency is absolutely key to a successful organization. So I think that's more and more the case. I certainly have seen it increase over the years in my personal experience with nonprofit organizations. Sometimes, you know, saying, oh, it's a scam is just an excuse. 
excuse. It's a way of saying, I don't want to give my money away. I'd rather hold on to it. So you have to be careful there. But I also think it's important to keep in mind, again, with women, often what they would prefer to do is to pool their resources, particularly if they don't have a lot of money, to be able to join with other women in a women's giving circle. Women's foundations are now set up in every major city. That has become a huge new way for women to give of their time and talents and treasure, which is to get involved in foundations or giving circles with other women where they look at uh, projects in their home communities, usually projects having to do with the betterment of women and girls, and they put their money together and make a much bigger difference than one of them could do alone. That's a great perspective, and I think inspiring people through your success is a great way to really motivate people to take action. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the details, if you're willing to address the planning, your legacy planning, and how important that was to you, and did you have to drag your spouse kicking and screaming? (laughs) No, my spouse is a sensible soul. He is not at all one of those men who would sit there saying, I'm getting older, what am I do now? quite the contrary. He's put together a very significant and wonderful life. His charitable work, if you want to describe it as such, is much more personal in that he is now a university professor and he spends an enormous amount of time with his students and with his former students and mentoring them and helping them along life's path. And he has helped many of them get through college financially. He has also set up a financial prize at his institution in his parents' name. So it is something that he's done on a more personal level rather than through large organizations. So we all do it our own way. But he did not need to be kicking and screaming into the future. I'm teasing. The importance is just getting planning done. And quite honestly, philanthropy can be in many forms. I know locally at our church, we always talk about time, treasure, and talent. And if you're blessed to do all three, great. If it's two out of three, one out of three, it's just be involved and choose a path that just helps make the world a better place. And it not only helps make the world a better place, it makes your life so much better. Yeah. Everybody knows that in the end, when you think about it, you never feel as good as you do yeah. when you're helping somebody else. Yeah. That's the best you feel, to be able to do that on a regular basis, to be able to have a role where you can do that for large numbers of people is a real blessing. It is a gift to you rather than the other way around. Yeah, and I think as fast-paced as our world is today, some of that gets forgotten, and there's a quest, it seems, by so many to achieve and to acquire so many things. And, you know, at some point you got to look and say, gosh, if we're blessed, we need to share. And that can be pennies. It just doesn't matter. Both are true at the same time. People are pushing to achieve, and materialism is alive and sick. But the number of volunteer hours in this country is incredibly Mm -hmm. impressive. The fact that most people actually do give is very impressive. This is uniquely American, this private philanthropy and private giving of time. It's something that we should celebrate. I can't even imagine how many true numbers of charities there are, and the very fact is it's got to be massive. Just that fact alone is clear that many Americans give, and most of us maybe don't even realize it. When Tocqueville came to this country about 170 years or so ago now, 
he wrote, these Americans, they have a passion for forming associations. You know, what, would, what in Europe would be done by the crown or the bureaucracy mm. in America is done by these private associations. And he couldn't get over it. People would just organize themselves and do whatever needed to get done. And I think hopefully that stays that way. And if the government's role is maybe to still always allow the tax deduction, because that does well, help inspire some. <laughs> or to provide seed money or yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah. a lot of the money that non-governmental organizations spend abroad is USAID money, because there's a very strong view, this is something President Bush talked a lot about, that the best anti-terrorism tool is a strong, dynamic, thriving country get there through education and through microfinance and through other ways to strengthen the girls in the country and the family. Well, not that you've not already accomplished this today, but leave our listeners with a parting thought as far as inspiring them to get involved today. Well, I think that anybody who gets involved in an organization that helps other people finds that it is an incredibly rewarding thing to do whether it's getting involved in your church or the growing number of village projects around the country that help older people stay in their homes, or whether it's traveling around the world to witness and participate in development projects that organizations like Save the Children are doing. It is uh, incredibly rewarding for you as well as for the organization. Fantastic. Well, listen, I wish we had more time, but you've really helped share with our listeners today the passion that drives you and the need for even the male population to get a little bit more inspired, too. So I really agree with your points. I appreciate that perspective. Well, thanks again for joining us today, and we maybe can touch base with your accomplishments in the future. We'd appreciate that. That would be great. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.